manuscript. It goes back, to, it's part of the book of John. Uh, here's a little, I'll hand this out, and it, or lay it out so you can look at it later. It's part of the book of John, John chapter 18, verse 31 through 33, and part of John chapter 18, verse 37 through 38. Uh, it's on both sides. And they're just, it doesn't have the whole sentence, it's just got the middle of the sentence that kind of shows you on this handout. But this is a uh, replica. This is not real. This is a piece of puff. That's the actual size. And if you look at this, you can see it's fake. It looks plastic. I'm going to hand this out too, and you can take a look at it. I got several of these. These are like actual papyri from 200 BC, 280, right in that time period. And this is demotic writing, not demonic, demotic. It went from hieroglyphics to uh, her, 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 uh, I, I forget what it's called, then demotic. I just forgot the word. But it's, it's the cursive form, second phase of the cursive form of hieroglyphics from Egypt. But this is an actual piece of papyri. Uh, you say it's 2,000 years old. So you can see that this is not real, but it gives you an ideal. Uh, and this comes from, this is dated to like 115, maybe 111 A.D. So this, this one, the, when you have the real one, it's John uh, had just died like 10 or 15 years after this was written or copied. And this was found in Egypt. John wrote in Ephesus up in Asia Minor. So it had made in a matter of, if John wrote uh, the book of John in 85, 90 A.D., within 20, 25 years, there's a copy of it that we've got a fragment in Egypt. And this is legitimate. So this is the oldest, this is the oldest copy of biblical manuscripts, uh, our New Testament, because uh, you have the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that we've got. But anyway, I'll, I'll lay this right here. I just thought that was interesting. You'd like to look at because I've referred to that several times. And then this is an actual piece of papyrus. And you can see, if you look at it, you can see the texture, how they took the reeds and laid them on both sides and pressed them down. And uh, yeah, go ahead and take a look at it right now while I'm talking if you want to. Uh, here's another piece right here of some papyrus up there. But anyway, I just got that this week, so I wanted, here, I'll take this too, pass this around. And then this is, you can hand that, that's just got the, What's neat about this on the inside right here, you can see there is what's written on there. Now, the, there's the Greek. There's the bold letters in the Greek. Now, these, this is unseal, which means they're all capital letters. The minuscule, I don't know if it was around 200, 300 A.D. They start, no, 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 it'd be later than that, 500 A.D. maybe. They started writing in a cursive form of Greek. So it went from all capital letters uh, to more of a cursive script. So most manuscripts are cursive script in the, in the Greek. The older ones are the unseals, the ca all capital letters, just word, letter by letter by letter. Anyway, you can see right here, the bold is the part of the verse that's on that. And then here's the flip side, the bold. And then down here's the bold in English. You can see that. So that's kind of interesting to see. Uh, that, that, uh, th that find, and it's, it's not, I mean, you can always debate everything, but it's not really debatable. It's not a matter of, well, that's some people's opinions. It's, it's the writing, it's the texture, it's the uh, material. Uh, and what that did, that proves that the book of John was written and in existence by 110, for sure, 110 A.D., and that it was copied, which means it had to be written before then. Up until the finding of the John Ryland manuscript, seminaries and, and, and critics were saying the book of John, the gospel of John, wasn't written until maybe 190, 200 A.D., that there's no way that John wrote it. It was one of his disciples. It was too advanced Greek. It was advanced theology. It just was something the church made up. And so when you read, you know, coming out of the 1800s, going, and a, a pastor coming, in, coming through the seminaries, even in the 1900s, early 1900s for sure, and even later on, and even today, because some people just won't admit this, they say, well, John never wrote the book of John. It was something written later on that we just write back. And so you really don't know if the Bible's true or not. It's just something that we kind of, it's a real kind of a soft foundation for the Christian faith. Well, this proves that it wasn't written in 200 or 190 A.D., that it was already in existence by 110 which means it had, and that was a copy in Egypt, which means it had to be written by, you know, in the time that we think it was written by the Apostle John. Uh, okay, we don't know for sure that it was written by the Apostle John, but we know that it was in existence during the Apostle John's lifetime, and all of church tradition, the people that knew that, 
quoted it and referred to it as a writing of John. And uh, it matches 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. It matches Revelation, certain forms. So, again, we don't have John's photograph, uh, you know, an interview on 60 Minutes. Uh, because if it was on the media, if it was on the news, then, of course, you'd be able to trust it and know it was true. Um, so we don't have that kind of video footage. But anyway, uh, it, it gives a real, uh, you know, it really puts it back in that place where you, you have to accept it or reject it. But anyway, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, looking in chapter verses 12 through 17 today uh and in chapter 11 of hebrews we talked about faith and we, i did mention this that all the heroes of faith the, I, the issue that they had was they had faith they had confidence in god they had information and when god asked them to go beyond what they what they understood they maybe didn't know where they were going they didn't understand the the full picture they trusted because they had certain information they knew this was true so they could stand on the part that they knew and trust the unknown the unseen now this was their faith trusting standing on knowledge standing on something they knew that they were confident of and trusting the unknown because you knew this was true faith is not blind it's just not it's not empty we're just going to pick and choose what we want to believe you know the person you know this information and this information is pointing you this direction i don't know where it's going i don't understand but i do understand this i do know this so i will have faith in this now they were commended by faith now the thing that bothered us as we went through that and anyone that pays attention to those and knows the old testament stories the people they were mentioning uh often i mean almost every one of them had some kind of flaw in their life if it be a moral failure if it be a, a bad decision if it be sometimes even a lack of faith i mean there was moments where they didn't have faith they always came back to this so we would say uh what about sin uh what they were talking about in chapter 11 was not these are the perfect people these are the people that had faith because we go through every one of them and find flaws in their life and so there is a distinction between having faith and being free from sin but the faith that you have should be able to produce a lifestyle if you have confidence in god if you have the life of god that's going to lead you towards god and you're going to be conformed into his image more and more and when you turn the page into chapter 12 now we start talking about uh conduct we start talking about morals we start talking about level paths uh, that would make it easy to walk. Uh, and this ideal of the level path would be sinlessness. And the easy walk would be a life that is uh, obedient. Obey, I'll just write obey, that we're obeying God. This is what chapter 12 is now about, and we're going to now start pointing towards that. I do want to point out, again, the difference. You can have faith in Jesus Christ and still have issues with sin you will never be free from your sin nature the idea is that when you have faith in christ if you have a living growing faith you'll begin to move into this area and start not by your own effort although you're going to have to put effort into it but by this new position by this new uh, life by the spirit of god the word of god you'll be able to make corrections and begin living a life that is pleasing to god and that's where these level paths come up if you can do this you will have level paths not that you're going to have an easy time in life because you're still running a race there's going to be obstacles there's going to be challenges but you will be able to run in obedience because you're rising above sin making godly choices um if you do not overcome sin you're going to make your paths crooked you're going to make your knees weak your arms are going to be inefficient your arms are going to be used to do the work your legs or your knees are going to be used to do the walk and so there's going to be two ideas here if we just over do a quick look at this you're going to need to do the work of god that god has called you to in which case you're going to have to have arms arms that are strong which means you're going to have to have arms that are not hindered by sin you're going to need to uh walk the walk or run the race which means the lifestyle of uh, the christian life and so this is going to refer to the knees 
And if the arms are weak, the knees are feeble, a person can become, a believer can become disabled. Meaning, you have the life of God, you have faith in God, but you have not strengthened your arms. Your arms are still bound up by sin. And we're talking about not just the sin nature, but we're talking about active sin deeds words thoughts you're 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 embracing this you're not overcoming it it is in a sense overcoming you your knees are weak so when it comes time to walk or run the race or when it comes time to do the work that god's called you to do you're disabled you just you just lay there i i don't have you you've destroyed your life because of sin now this is not chapter 11 they had faith this is now now that you've got faith you have a challenge You've got a race marked out for you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily besets us and start running the race marked out for us. Now, if you don't do this, do not think you're going to be running the race. You may have faith, but you're going to be disabled because your arms are weak, your knees are weak or disabled or not functioning. Uh, and that's where this is going to. So this is, this is now definitely... Uh, Again, chapter 11 was faith. These are examples of faith. They met their own challenges. Now, you've got that same faith, and you're facing challenges. These are the things you're going to have to overcome. So I'm going to read chapter 12. I may read, uh, I'll begin in, well, I might just begin in chapter 12, verse 1. <coughs> chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's apparently those that have lived before us in the previous chapters that had faith, uh, they've done it. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Right there, he begins, because we have this faith and we're surrounded by people with the faith, let's get rid of the things that's slowing us down in the race that we're running. Uh, now, again, there are people in this congregation in, uh, in Jerusalem in 63 AD that, that this was happening to. And you can read this on, on uh, well, a couple ways. On, on one, the individual level of you being challenged by this. But this is also going to have a community effect to it. There are going to be some that are going to be able and are going to be strong. Your responsibility, because you're going to see there's going to be people, someone's going to have to go out and make the path straight. Someone's going to go out and have to make it easy for those that are weak and disabled. And so those that are weak and disabled will be those that are still caught up in sin or haven't grown or haven't matured. Those that are mature are going to have to go out of their way to somehow accommodate the lifestyle to help them along. Uh, and so you can look at this individually, but you can also look at this as a community. This writer is writing to them not as individuals, not as a self-help seminar, although that would be something you could draw out of here, more as you as a group are under assault. Some of you are stronger than others that have overcome the battle and can help the others that are now still in the phase of trying to make a decision, what am I going to do? Uh, so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And again, that joy was probably the joy, two things. It could be the joy of turning a back away from, he turned away from the joy of the world and went to the cross. Or he saw the joy of finishing the work of the cross and the joy it would become. In, either way, he wasn't attracted to the joy of the world, but he was looking to the greater result of this. For the joy set before him, uh, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Meaning, he, it, it, did, it was it, compared to what he was accomplishing, this, this embarrassment of the cross, this defeat of the cross, was not, he scorned. It's like, this is nothing. It's like, it's like, a mosquito hitting his windshield. That, I mean, that's what it means, scorn. He didn't necessarily make fun of it, mock it, as much as, well, a mosquito's going to crash into your windshield as you're going down the interstate. It's like, okay, I am not worried about the mosquito. He's not worried about the cross. Now, we would look at it and be like staggering. He's looking at it, no. I'm not afraid of going, guys, I'm not afraid of going to the cross. Peter, I don't need your help. I'm going to the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in other words you are going to be in a position and if you haven't been you will be uh, where you're facing something similar and you're going to have, to have the same attitude that you look at and go 
this is like a mosquito hitting my windshield. When you have the right, if, the, if your paths are straight, if your arms are strong, your knees are healthy, you're looking at that as not. But if you're, if you're entangled in sin, you're not going to be able to make that judgment call. You're, you're going to be like wrapped up in the world or you don't have a full picture of where you're going. If you're in the same position, have your eyes set on Jesus, your eyes set on the goal, when your cross comes, you'll also scorn it. It's like, it's like a mosquito hitting my windshield. Just go right on through it because you know there's nothing here that gives you greater joy than what's on the other side. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that could be like Jesus was martyred or killed, sacrificed, or they may not have faced martyrdom yet. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So as you're going through this life as a Christian, as you face the hardships, it's like, why is this happening? If nothing else, God is disciplining you, getting you, making you stronger. He's like the coach helping you get stronger for the race. So just because life isn't going easy doesn't mean you've made a mistake. It, it can, but even then, if you've made a mistake, consider what's taking place, discipline, so you don't do it again. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's and we see this at different places, sometimes it's actively caused by you, sometimes it's passive, it just came upon you. Either way, the Lord is using both as discipline to make you stronger. So don't give up, don't lose heart, don't say, oh, I've lost, I've, I've made a mistake, or I don't know, it's not fair. It may not be fair, or you might have made a mistake. Either way, God is using it to make you stronger so you overcome it next time. So endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And again, if you are a son, this is happening to you. Well, I don't think God does that. Okay, he does. If you're a son, he is disciplining you. Well, I don't think God disciplines. It's like, well, I, I don't know what to say to you because... We're talking about sonship. We're talking about the, the fatherhood of God. And if he's your father, he will discipline you because you are not good enough. He accepts you as you are, but he is in the process of changing you. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm pleased with who I am. Uh, okay, I don't want to be rude, but God, God's not. God's not. I mean, he's, he's trying to get you to a better place. He's trying to make you better. Well, I've come a long ways. It's like, Oh no! Okay, I mean, I mean, are, are, we're gonna have, we're gonna lose contact here. You, I'm eventually gonna say something that you can't keep up with because God is changing you. You can come as you are, but as soon as you get there, He said, "Okay, now we're gonna start changing you into My image." Well, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty good Christian already. Okay, you don't really understand the image of God because the you're never going to get there, and He's gonna continue to conform you. Anyway. That's the message that here, I mean, again, like I said last week, that's hard for the Western church to even imagine that, what, I'm not good enough? No, no, that's why you're learning the Word of God. You're being conformed into His image. Well, I've been a Christian for 60 years. Well, then, you probably should have made some good progress, but you have like 60 more years to go. It's like you're not there. Our fathers disciplined, as, as disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. Meaning that's the whole idea of, of sharing in his nature, his character, his kingdom, and being able to enjoy it. The greater uh, the, 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 the wattage of a light bulb, the brighter it will shine. And God's trying to prepare you to have a bright, bright light, the ability to handle, to understand, to perceive. Everyone can appreciate God, but the more you understand, the more you're in his image, the more you have the ability to understand. I mean, you think about uh, different people you've known in your life. As you, if it's your parents, you appreciated your parents when you were a two-year-old. You appreciated them when you were an eight-year-old. You appreciated them when you were 15, 20, 30. But the older you get, you, get to, you learn, and you look, even look back, you go, you appreciate things uh, that you didn't appreciate when you were 10 because you've been in that position. You have a greater understanding. And the same thing, people appreciate God even as a two-year-old. But if you're conformed more and more into his image, you have a greater appreciation. You can partake of his nature at a greater level. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, until you are God himself, you've got a ways to go. And, of course, you're never going to become God himself. That's not why well, I wasn't trying to start some kind of new cult. I'm happy with the one we've got. Um, <laughs> no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Okay, 
That's the goal. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, that harvest of righteousness and peace, we could be talking about in eternity, but we could be talking about in the temporal world too. The training you received yesterday in your Christian walk can produce peace and righteousness in your life today uh, as you continue to grow. You're, you're, you're stronger today than you were yesterday. And again, the ideal of peace and righteousness is going to be both behavior and an inner attitude of being in harmony with God's will. For those who have been trained by it. Now, everyone, listen, everyone's undergoing discipline, but not everyone's getting trained by it. Some are resisting. Some are kicking back. Some are preaching against it. Some are trying to deny it. If you've been trained by it, you will have, as you go forward, you're going to have more peace and more righteousness because you've been trained by it. Okay, so there it is. That, that's that's the, what's happening. Now, verse 12, our new material. Therefore, since that's the situation, God is disciplining you. If you allow yourself to be trained by it, you're going to have peace and righteousness as you continue in life. It's going to be growing in your life and ultimately into eternity. Therefore, if that's the case, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Now, you can be looking at that as an individual basis, because that's the case. You have weak arms. You have feeble knees. Now, make your path straight so you can make progress going forward, that you can pick up here and keep going. Or, if you are the one that's been trained by it, go back and make the path straight, so that those that are struggling with sin, uh, that aren't off throwing things off that, that entangle them, they know how to go. go. Set an example. Be one of the clouds of, or members of the clouds of witnesses and help others along this path. You're following the pioneer Jesus, but if you're following Jesus, someone else is behind you following you. It's like the wagon trails. It's like not everybody followed the original wagon trail. They just kept <laughs> following. Eventually, there's a path. So I mean, you can look at that individually, and, and we will, or corporately. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men. Now, again, there's that corporate idea. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Again, when you talk about holiness, it's not like, and now for the grand opening, you're going to get a chance to see the Lord. And here it is, the Lord. Ta -da, and you go, oh, I see him. Okay, we, it could be like that. But the idea there, you're not going to partake. You're not going to see. You're not going to perceive, understand the Lord unless he is holy He's doing things the right way, the way things were intended. And if you're not doing things the way they were intended, if you are deconstructing reality, if you're deconstructing what he's designed, you're never going to understand what he's doing. If God is over here, he's designed the universe to function. These are his, his, his principles of chemistry. This is the principles of the, of the universe. This is principles of, of society. This is the principles of, of humanity. And this is how it all works together. If you, if you see the Lord, if you understand that, you will then see the Lord and see how things are working. But if you are over here trying to deconstruct society, deconstruct his reality, trying to morph things into your own image, you're never going to see or understand God. You're going to always be like getting further and further into darkness because you're creating your own. You're, he's not here. You've, decon you've, you've taken all the Legos apart and dumped them in a pile. I don't see any order. I see no pattern. I see no reason. I mean, that's why it's so dangerous to, in a sense, become an atheist or allow yourself to be trained. You should consider, you should, you should consider with that ideal of liberal education, is evolution possible? Is evolution true? It's like, well... And then you come to the conclusion, it's like, no, because there's certain principles, it doesn't make sense. You can't have something coming out of nothing. You can't have order coming out of chaos. The reason there's order, there's got to be, if, if my house was just a load of lumber that got dumped off here in the 70s, it would just be a decaying pile of lumber that was been sitting here. It's not just going to snap together. There's got to be someone coming with plans and put it together. That's, that's the way the world works. That's reality. So to think that your entire existence just came out of nothing, that's fiction. Now, you, you, you should say, now if someone's presenting, hmm, then now think about it. Okay, that's the, the theory of evolution. It's like, okay, well, there's some logical gaps in that. But if you're going to go ahead and do that, you've got all these pieces, and you're going to become an atheist, you're going to start looking at the world as an atheist, you're making some huge leaps. I mean, you're... You're thinking everything just kind of grew out of nothing, that we're still growing into something, and there's no direction. 
yet you've got direction. You've got thought. You've got the ability to think and reason and come to calculations and analyze things. How? Because there's no rhyme or reason. Your, your thoughts themselves are just scattered. You're making a judgment call because you're sitting above this whole thing making a judgment call, but this is all just, just chaos. And it's just having to come together. And so you are part of this. You're just chaos. Making an evaluation of chaos. Yep. It's like, okay, that's, you're, you're, you're goofy. That's, that's not going to sell unless you censor this because this says there's a creator, a, a mind, uh, an eternal existence that spoke the thoughts as words into existence and then formed it with a reason and a pattern and so that's what he is doing so now when you look at creation from his perspective you can now begin to see what he's doing and you can see god in chemistry you can see god in society you can see god in human nature or you can see how man has fallen and how man can find his way back to god and what god is doing so without holiness without that completeness you're never going to see god you're going to be over here and you're you're explaining this but this isn't god nonetheless that's that's a rant right there without holiness no one will see the lord see to it that no one misses the grace of god notice again they're not talking about you make sure you don't miss the grace of god but make sure no one misses the grace of god we're going to assume that you maybe are the strong one. You maybe are the one that has overcome some battles. Now make sure that no one else misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So there's, there's that community effort helping others and then that bitter root, that something, there's some kind of animosity between two groups of people. Maybe, maybe can, I will go to Romans here if I hurry. Even someone that's a little more spiritual and someone that's maybe coming into the faith they may not understand each other. Don't let that root of bitterness cause contention. Instead, overlook their weakness. Not accept, not tolerate, but it's like they don't understand what you understand. What do you mean? Well, like God knows much more than I know, but God is like patient. He's tolerant. I know more than I knew, I think, when I was, than when I was 12, but I certainly don't know as much as God knows. So where does God cut me off? Well, when I'm 12, he lets me become 14, keeps working with me. If I have, he disciplines me, and I keep growing. Well, now he's still way up here, but I'm, I'm hopefully getting closer to him or even others that have gone before me. I'm, I'm learning more, getting a better understanding. So I look back at someone else that's not as advanced as myself, and it's like, well, that's not right. Well, okay, at what, what, where are they at? What, what's their next step? What can you do to help them get to the next step? And again, it, you can't hold this standard to them. You've got to get up here because it's going to take them 20 years to get to here. It's going to take me eternity, and I'll never get to God. So if God's just going to start cutting people off, no one's going to make it. So this has got to be talking also about some community within this group they're under persecution by the Jews. They're going to be un, in, a, in a, the Roman wars in about 36 months. They need each other. You don't need church division at this time in 63 AD. The last thing the Jews need is to start Jewish believers in the church in Jerusalem in 63 AD is start dividing amongst themselves and have roots of bitterness. Well, we don't go with that group because we're over here on this group. And it's like you're just causing division. So this is going to be individual, but also, as you look at others, keep bringing people along with you. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now here's an example from the Old Testament. Interestingly, obviously, it's not one of the guys that was mentioned in chapter 11. It's someone that's outside the covenant, but he's used as an example. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now right there, sexual immorality, it's the word pornea, you can see it in the Greek text right there, or godless like Esau. Now, as we move to this, he's, he may be saying Esau was, was sexually immoral and godless. And that's why he sold his birthright. He did not understand what he had and just walked away from it. Or he could be saying there's two things you should avoid. Sexual uh, immorality, pornea, 
or godlessness like Esau. So it could be two things. Esau was guilty of godlessness, but he, he's putting there's two things there. Sexual immorality or godlessness like Esau. The problem with putting sexual immorality with Esau is this is one of the, there's no place in the Old Testament that associates Esau with sexual sin. Now you can find sexual sin in, all around Esau's story, but you don't find Esau in sexual immorality. You find him with godlessness. Now, it's easy to, well, there probably was, okay, it probably was, but it's like you don't have a story to go to. Uh, there is a reference, and I've got it written down here. Uh, most Jewish writings have nothing. There is one reference that he had been out committing sin that day, which included uh, adultery, and came home. But it's in, it's in one of the later teachings that they kind of developed. So anyway, just keep that in mind. It definitely says sexual immorality and godlessness. It's just that is Esau responsible for both, or is he just responsible for godlessness? Either way, they're both given as examples. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now notice what we're talking about here. Selling inheritance rights or your birthrights as a son of God. He was, he was the oldest son and he had the right. But he decided something was more valuable, a bowl of soup, than this. And if nothing else, and just as an overview, the Christians are being said, don't become like this. Don't look at the world. Don't look acceptance into the Jewish culture by going back to the Temple Mount and going back to the Temple worship so that you're accepted and you get your little bowl of porridge here because you're selling the deity of Christ. You're selling the opportunity to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, you don't go to the world for some kind of pleasure or your sin and, and receive a bowl of porridge and forfeit your inheritance. Now, as we look at this, and again, we'll talk about this as we get to it and go through a little more detail. Are we talking about losing your salvation like Esau lost the inheritance? Or are we talking about you're still a believer, you're going to lose your reward or, in a sense, your inheritance? You are a believer in Christ. Or are we talking about people that are making a decision? They haven't made a decision yet. So within here, you've got, you're going to have... Are they making a decision? Are we going to accept Christ? Are they a believer that is forfeiting their salvation? We'll just say forfeiting or losing salvation. Or are they a believer and are losing their rewards? Which, wor which words are spelled wrong? Which word? This has got too many S's in it. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so are we talking about people that have, haven't made a decision and they've got to make a decision for Christ? Could be. Or are we talking about a believer who if they don't overcome this sin, these sin problems, they're going to be like Esau and they're going to lose their inheritance, which is they're going to lose the salvation they've got. Or are they a believer, secure in Christ, you can't lose your salvation, but you're now maturing and you're someday going to see God, you're going to understand God, but you're, when you... When you uh, get there you never really matured you're going to be less than what you could be in eternity because you lost your rewards john writes the same thing don't let anyone steal what you've worked for he writes about john and again my theology without going down the whole concept is this is impossible a believer cannot lose their salvation this is my theology i'm not i'm not taking that out of this verse i'm telling you this is what i believe based on other verses and other teaching as we go through this if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the life of God, you are eternally a son of God, now you need to mature. So you could be an immature son. I believe that is the case. Now, if you, are so, if you are immature, it may be because you never really pursued Christ, you're a son of God, you're just immature. Or it could be you're immature because you never really made a decision. You just went to youth group. You just went to church. You went to Easter services. You just were born in a Christian household. And you never really made a decision, so you never really, you have a chance of earning any rewards because you still haven't made a decision yet. So I believe you are a believer that is not growing, or you are not a believer who can't grow because you're not even in the family yet. I don't think this is an option. Anyway, keep that in mind as you look at these verses. 
And we'll come back and give you more detail about it, but I just want to throw that out there as we go through it. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. So you, if a person in this case is not growing, they're not going to continue to grow. They're going to have weak arms and feeble knees and not find a level path. They're going to be overcome with sin. There's going to be no growth, no rewards, no production. You are, in a sense, fruitless. Now, are you fruitless because you didn't grow? Or are you fruitless because you're still a dead tree? And if you're still a dead tree, you never had salvation. Again, that's, that's a huge five-week, you know, denominational dividing discussion. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, that gives an idea of this believer who, live, who is a believer in Jesus Christ, lives their life, but kind of blows off the whole Christian maturity thing and just and, and they don't produce. And now when they cross over, it's like, it's too late. You can't. Esau made a decision that could not be changed. And, I, you know, I'm not sure if we want to make a connection here. You can make a decision for Christ any time during life. Even, you know, even up to the point of death, I would assume. It all depends on where God is. The unforgivable sin cuts it off and says they're not going to get saved. But in, a, in a, just a general sense, you have your whole life to choose Christ. Then also in your whole life, you can continue to grow at any time during your life. You can choose to turn around and say, you know, I, I'm 62 years old, and I'm going to now get serious. I'm going to now start studying the Word of God. I'm going to try to find out what God wants me to do. And you can start. I may have decided at 20 or 30 or 40. Now, assuming it's not like the unforgivable, you know, you're not unforgivable, but, you know, you close the door. There's always chance on this side of eternity to make a change. But once you die, you can't grow anymore. You can't, like, go back and do the good deeds you didn't do. You can't say, ah, oh, now I understand, or now I see the consequences. It's like, no, once you die, you either are not a believer or you are a believer, in this case, that didn't grow and you can cry you can seek but it's like nothing's gonna you can't change it it's over it's closed and esau during his life made a business deal and sold the inheritance and it was a, it was people that was a dumb deal esau took or jacob took advantage of it he laid out the terms i will give you this soup but you give me your birthright it's like well that's you're taking advantage of the situation well the guy could have made his own soup i mean he's not helpless I mean, what, 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 he was just impulsive. He was just like, ah, he really, in a sense, if we go back to chapter 11, Esau didn't have faith and Jacob had faith. Jacob had so much faith in the covenant that he was willing to manipulate to get the advantage of being the one that gets the covenant because this is huge, huge. It's an empty promise to grandpa Abraham. It's like, I'll make you a blessing. All the nation will be blessed. It's like, ah, da, 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 da. Give me the soup. You can have the blessing. It's like, Jacob says, you're kidding. <laughs> that was Yahweh that spoke. Yahweh, my way, whatever way. Just give me the soup. That would be, he was godless. He, he didn't have faith. Where Jacob had faith, says, will you give me that for a bowl of soup? I mean, I will lie. I will steal. I will manipulate. If I could just be you and have that covenant with Yahweh. Sure, bowl of soup. Yeah, I'll do it. It's like, oh, it's done. And it was a deal. It was a ridiculous deal, but it was a deal. Esau went into it godless, not considering it valuable. Jacob presented it because how much can I get out of this? So, again, going back to chapter 11, Jacob was a great man of faith, not necessarily a moral man, but a great man of faith because he believed this. Now, this example, chapter 12, is if you are a man of faith, then you can't just believe in Yahweh. You're going to have to now begin to conform and act the way Yahweh wants you to act because he's the creator of reality. You're going to have to come in line with his reality. That, that's, it's not about being uh, religious. It's not about being a good Christian. It's not about being moral. It's not about doing the right thing. It's he's the creator of reality, and if you've got faith in the creator, you want to come in line with the re reality the creator designed. And that would mean doing it the way he intended, which would be holy, holiness. It would be doing it, we'd say, the right way. It'd be, we'd say, the moral way. It's, so, I mean, you've got all these legalistic terms, but set them aside. 
and you just simply want to pursue the creator and live like the creator designed things to be done and be holy it's like okay now you're making the right decisions if and again that would include moral but it's got a little deeper foundation okay that then we go into uh afterwards as you know when he wanted to inherit his this blessing he was rejected he could bring about no change of mind though he sought the blessing with tears you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning now now he goes we're going to stop with this next part here he's now going to compare telling the believers you're not coming to a mountain where they gave the mosaic law you're coming to the new covenant you're coming to heaven itself where God is welcoming you because of Jesus Christ. So he's comparing Mount Sinai to, in a sense, Mount Zion or the old covenant to the new covenant here in these next verses and says you've got a much greater thing. Once again, where the book began, you've got a better covenant. We're not coming to the Mount Sinai where he's going to give you this law that just terrifies you that you're never going to accomplish. You're coming to a mountain where people are celebrating the resurrection and the, the life of God that you are now part of. So, I mean... This cloud is dark and gloomy, or this mountain is dark and gloomy. This mountain is celebrating. This is where the lights are. This is the party right here, and it's because of what Christ has done. So we're not looking, we're not telling you to go back to the law. We're not telling you to go back to this dark and gloomy, you're never going to make it. We're telling you, you've made it. Now start rushing to that mountain. Run the race towards that mountain. Okay, with that being said and introduced, <laughs> uh, we go back to the notes now, or go to the notes and uh chapter 12 verse 2 because as he goes through right here uh he talks about you're being disciplined you know god is disciplining your sons and he begins this new section therefore i'm saying consider discipline god is training you therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees that is the english standard translation of chapter 12 verse 12 this comes out of isaiah uh, 35 verse 3 and i'm going to flip over to isaiah 35 and What's interesting uh, about this, or what's kind of fun about this, is if you would go to a, uh, a church service today or hear a, a preacher today, uh, they would give you a speech, you know, maybe I'm giving you a speech, you know, but they would go back and they'd find a verse, and I've got some verses here, and they'd explain those verses too, because this is what this verse says, here's, here's the message, where we're reading the letter of Hebrews as if it were scripture, which it is, but they're receiving it as a written sermon. They're receiving it as, again, they, maybe they consider it scripture. You know, we go back and we see Peter considered Paul's letters to be scripture. We see P Peter referring to that. But they're basically receiving a sermon. This is not, the, the letter of Hebrews is not in their Bible. Their Bible is, in, the, in Jerusalem, C3 AD, is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And this guy is now telling them, here's how you live your life. But he's going to go back and find a text verse to get this started. And what he's going to do is, Isaiah, go to 35, Isaiah 35. Because God, he just quoted Proverbs, God is going to treat you like sons. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. He used some examples from the Old Testament. Then he says, therefore, strengthen your your arms and your knees and now he's talking about and here's what here the verse he chooses comes out of isaiah 35 the uh, reason i'm saying this is he's going to grab a verse now this verse just like if i quoted from the book of john you'd know ah he's quoting i know that i know that from the book of john he all of a sudden says you know arms and knees strengthen them they're they're weak they know oh he's talking about isaiah 35 now it wasn't called isaiah 35 that was added later but isaiah 35 they know what he's talking about and they know what where those verses they're just like random bumper stickers you know that it's like random verse it's like there's a whole context right here in the middle of this it talks about knees and arms being strengthened and it gives you the reason here's why and it, i want to just read this because this is the idea here. The reason, and we're going to read that into this, meaning this is why you want to do something about this. Chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. 
it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. In other words, we're talking about a day when the Lord manifests on the earth. It's the great theophany. We would call it the second coming. He is going to come to Israel. He's going to come to the world, and everything is going to rock and change. I mean, the desert is going to bloom. The trees are going to grow. It's going to be a, Isaiah speaking judgment to his nation. You need to get back with God. But then as he goes, and so does Jeremiah and most of the prophets, that there is a day coming when he is done disciplining you. He is going to return, and it's going to be a glorious day in the kingdom when he comes back to the earth or comes to the earth. They will see the glory of the Lord the splendor of our God. Look at verse 3. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those who are with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now that is, a, that is one of the, the clues, the indications, the, the, the characteristics of the day of the Lord is the Lord is coming with two purposes he's coming with vengeance and judgment to judge the unbeliever and the wicked but he's coming with salvation and deliverance for the faithful and the righteous so as you're looking at this world situation as isaiah is talking say around 700 bc and you're in Judah, you're looking at the world situation the assyrians are marching across the, the middle east and you're looking at this uh, chaotic situation realize the day is coming when god is going to come and set up his kingdom so because that is going to happen because that is your future you are you're scared you you're, you're afraid your knees if we go to hebrews the reason your arms are weak and your knees are weak is you're captive to sin and the sin may not be just you know immorality it just may be fear of the world it's like i got to do what they i don't know i don't it's like no no stop don't be afraid strengthen your knees start looking at the kingdom start looking at the glory of god strengthen those arms strengthen those knees make straight paths this thing is going to pass by this storm is going to pass by but this eternal kingdom is coming and is never going to leave that's the context of these verses that they would have known if they would have gone to synagogue that's they would have read these verses or they would have heard them explain be strong do not fear your god will come he will come with vengeance with divine retribution he will come to save you then verse 5 then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert the burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground of bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and it goes on uh here yeah great line verse eight and a highway will be there it will be called the way of holiness the unclean will not journey on it it'll be for those who walk in that way wicked fools will not go about on it in other words those who have pursued the ways of god in his reality they will know exactly where to go and how to act because they understand reality the wicked and the fools that have rebelled they won't be able to figure it out because they're under judgment that's in the day of coming so the context here is make your knees arms strong because the lord is coming the day of the lord is coming and that and listen that's coming out of 700 bc now in 63 a.d the writer of hebrews goes to isaiah 35 and uses this verse as an example to tell them and they would have known why should we because what you're dealing with right now is temporary you are under a temporary oppression you're being rejected by society because you you're not going to go to the temple and worship like they used to the romans are going to be destroying your nation because your nation is in rebellion towards the lord and rome is going to be the horn cutter in a sense we come out of zachariah it's going to cut this nation down and uh you need to get away from both you need to walk in the ways of the lord because he is coming and so this right here begins on page one of the notes therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees comes right out of isaiah 35 talking about the lord returning there's other references that are similar uh like in ezekiel 7 17 every hand will go limp and every knee will turn to water that's all about the lord's judgment coming and those that see the lord's judgment coming they may have been proud and arrogant but when they see the lord coming now there's a reversal they become the weak um 
Therefore is the word deal in the Greek, the conclusion of the discussion above, talking about discipline, because of that discipline. You're being strengthened. These knees and arms are being strengthened today by the Lord's discipline, so you're able to appreciate what's going to be taking place. Uh, Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees from Isaiah 35.3, where the readers are encouraged to be strong because the Lord is coming with blessing and judgment. I write these two things down. I've already referred to it, but arms are for doing, such as doing the work of God or doing your ministry, what God's called you to do at this time in history. And your knees are for walking, which is an image of walking in the right way. So the reason the arms are mentioned, if we're going to make a connection, is the strength of those arms. How do you, what, what would strong arms look like? You're doing the work of the Lord. What has God, well, the Assyrians are coming, or the, the Jews are rejecting us. What, what, what are we doing? You need to get your arms strong, and in spite of the Assyrians or the Romans or the Jews, you need to do the work of the Lord. And he'll, he'll empower you to do his work if you look at him and look away from the ways of the world. Your knees, that would be walking the walk. Walking, you know, people say walk the walk, talk the talk. This would be, in a sense, walking, doing righteous things. And in a world of wickedness, in the world where you're being condemned for being righteous, uh, you're going to continue to do these things because you've come to the Lord. So that is what we've got there for that first reference. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, get strong and start doing the work of God, strengthen your weak knees, start walking in righteousness. And then, that's you, and make straight paths for your feet so that the lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So now you've got straight paths. If you do this, if you're walking in righteousness and you're doing the work of the Lord, then you're going to be laying a straight path for others that are coming to the faith. Just imagine, um, just imagine being in a culture where there's no knowledge of, of the Scripture, no knowledge of the Word of God. And you, someone, they introduce Christ to that nation or that culture or that person. And they've got, they, they, they understand a little bit, but they're so limited in their resources that they can't grow. They, they just live in a crooked world. They may have placed faith in Christ, but they've got to fill in all the details from their own imagination. Like, you know, what does God want me to do? What's going to happen when I die? What is God pleased with? You know, what, 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 why is this happening to me? Uh, and they've got, they just got to fill it in. They've got to make up their own religion. I mean, that, that, if you do not teach the Bible, the Word of God, line by line, precept by precept to believers, they will fill in the gaps. They'll make the, that's, I mean, you can see it. I mean, how many, the classic example I always use is when people die. I mean, the Bible tells you what happens when you die. You go to be in the presence of the Lord, or you go to the underworld and await judgment. One, you do not become an angel. You do not go back and forth. Uh, you're not like a God being that people can pray to and you can do certain favors for people. You don't get to come and go. It's like, you know, well, now that, I've got, now that so-and-so's dead, uh, they're, now, they're now watching over. Well, okay, now that makes sense if you're making things up. I mean, if you're just sitting around on the porch making things up, well, Grandpa's gone, where's he at now? Well, you know, I feel he's still watching us, he's still looking over us. You know, that's probably why that worked out for you because grandpa's going to make sure things work out. He always, he always kept an eye on it. He, he always meant a lot to him. It's like, yeah, that's right. I'm glad grandpa's a god now. Yeah, me too. It's like, well, you're, you're, well th- th- that's not, it makes sense if you're stupid. But that's what this means. You've got to get your knees and your arms strong. And now that you do, you've got to make level paths for other people so they don't sit around on the porch and make up theology. Teach them theology. Teach them. The reason this is happening, either way, one way or the other, God is disciplining you, making you look to him for answers. He's conforming you into his image. Grandpa has gone to be with the Lord. His time is over. He is waiting for the resurrection. Grandpa is not watching you. I mean, maybe he can see, I, I mean, but he's not, he's not in a godlike position. He's definitely not an angel. It's like, well, how do you know? That's why I'm laying down a straight path for you. You say, well, that, that's, what, that's what you think, Galen. Okay, but understand, I have gone to the Bible and tried to draw out the historical doctrines and lay this out. So it's not, hopefully this is not Galen's theology. 
Seriously, if this is Galen's theology, you need to go somewhere else. Now, again, I've got my opinions and stuff, but I'm trying to draw it out of the scriptures. Does that make sense? And so that could be what that, you're making straight paths for other people. That would mean these people that he's talking to, you need to get back with God, keep your eye on Christ, keep your eye on his priesthood, and then once your arms are strong and you're doing the work of God and you're walking in righteousness, making the right decisions, then help others make that path for others. So it's where you go. We go to church over here. It's over here. The truth is over here. And you start bringing, I'm not advancing, bring everybody to the Bible study. We, don't, we only got room for three more people. Uh, but the, the idea is, you know, get, don't just, you know, well, you know, we all find God in our own way. Well, okay, there's a truth that we've all got our own story to tell, but you only find God when you find the truth. Okay. Now, make level pass point one is from Proverbs 4, 26. In the context of Proverbs 4, the context, wisdom is speaking to a young man in Proverbs 4 and is telling him how to make level paths. One, pay attention to wisdom's words. So right here, how do you make a level path for everybody? Uh, you make equity. Everybody gets the same pay. Or you, you make, everybody gets, you know, socialism. It's like, okay, well, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, how do you make straight paths? is one, pay attention to wisdom's words. What is wisdom saying? Two, guard your heart. There are some things, because you are sinful, you are attracted to. Because you are a sinful creature. This is, ah, boy, boy, this opens up a whole category. This is, (laughs) the elite of the world today the upper class those that have the power of the money they are they have got a theory that humans as a whole are bad and too many of them cause pollution they destroy things uh, there's crime and so someone's got to control these bad people the, we call that the middle class uh, and they've got to be controlled. Now, that is a fair observation. Because the Bible presents humanity as bad. We all have a sin nature. That, that uh, Reformed doctrine call it uh, total depravity. Okay? Meaning you are totally worthless. That's coming right out of the Reformation, the Reformed churches today, and that is a true statement. There's nothing you can do to save yourself or fix yourself. You're just putting Band-Aids on things. You're just trying to control each other so you don't kill each other and steal everything from everybody. So, yes, the problem, today's issue that you are facing in your culture is these elite, they've got all the power, they've got the money, they've got the resources, they're going to say, okay, I know everyone's wicked, we will just simply drive them into some kind of controlled setting, poverty. The fourth generation does. We are in the middle of the fourth generation. That's why this is happening. They're going to drive the middle class into poverty and devour them so that they don't get destroyed by them. This is true. Mankind is wicked. Mankind is bad. That's why God is going to send truth. He's going to send a Savior. He's going to send the institutions. What are the institutions? Individual responsibility, marriage, family, government, and nationalism or nationality you've got a nation controlled by a government made up of families that are supported by a married couple that each are responsible and these are the institutions for the benefit of mankind he's going to provide a savior to deal with their sin nature that makes them bad but in the meantime he's going to give them the word of god the truth to help them understand how to avoid certain things and give them a standard these are wrong these are right make your paths straight so what the elite want to do is put themselves in a position where we would put God and all the institutions. And if you notice, the elite 
or someone is eliminating nationalism and nations. They're eliminating or corrupting governments. They're just taking over. Families, marriage, and even individual responsibilities from opening up prisons and just letting people, giving people stimulus checks or just give you free money, just drive you into total irresponsibility. They are destroying the institutions and they are shutting down truth and denying the existence of a Savior, even denying the existence of God. And they, are, they have convinced themselves of atheism and they look at this chaos and say, we got to fix it. So the elite, the upper class, this is Hosea, this is Micah, this is Joel, this is Isaiah. This is a four-generation cycle. This is repeated throughout history. They will take these, the middle class, drive them into poverty, and destroy them so that they can save themselves and control the chaos on the streets. Or you can support the five institutions that God has established, preach the truth, proclaim reality, and talk about the coming Savior, and you have the same situation. Man is bad. Man is bad. What are you going to do about it? Here we are trying to educate them, give them some guidelines, some kind of rails to run in, and the government is going to then do something to structure it so that you don't destroy each other. This is established by, it's already been dealt with by God. But that's where we're at today. That's where we come to this right here. Make straight paths for your feet so that the lame may not be put out of joint but be healed. And right there, we got to pick that up next week because we're talking here. Everyone is, is bad. Everyone has a sin nature. You need to, in a sense, find salvation through Christ, find the truth, and then start laying down these paths like this to help others. And we're going to talk about three groups of people. And I'll show you this very quickly. Oh, yeah, here. That was Proverbs 4.26. Pay attention to words. Don't, I, was, I gotta go through that list again. The, the point two on page two, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The three groups are gonna be the lame are the sin-sick humans. They're lame. Disabled are humans that are overcome with sin. Everyone deals with sin, but some have been disabled by sin. Now, we're not talking about physically disabled. We're talking about they cannot function in their life because sin has so disabled them, they need total deliverance. And then there's going to be the healed. Now, the healed in this illustration are not totally healed because they're still, they've just got these institutions. They've got the truth. They're now maturing. I would consider myself part of the healed but yet I realize I'm continually struggling with everything. Ah, I have been at times, I have been weak arms, I've been in sin. I suppose there's a time where you could come up with some and talk about being totally disconnected from God's plan in my life because I've been disabled, because I'm totally overcome with sin. If it's over a period of time, if it's a time in my life, whatever. So, it's no, it's, it, you're somewhere, you're either totally disabled by sin, you're outside of God's will, or sin is making you weak that you're not doing what God's called you to do, or you are, in a sense, you cross over here to this category of, quote, healed, not perfect, but you are able to help others find the straight path, help others find the truth, help establish the institutions. You would be supporting these institutions. You'd be teaching the truth, and not just the Bible truth, but reality. Pointing towards the ultimate Savior and Creator, Jesus Christ. If you're denying the Savior, if you're rejecting the Word of God and reality, you're deconstructing reality, you're against nationalism, you're against government control in the sense of not controlling everything, but having some kind of government structure, you just want to deconstruct everything, if you're against family, if you're against marriage or redefining marriage, and if you're against individuals being responsible for their own situation, their own life, and picking things up where they're at, uh, yeah, that's, you're wicked. You're, you're, you're making the path crooked. You're destroying the hope of mankind. You are no help at all. And if you are an elite doing that, you're sitting in the seat of the Antichrist. You may not be the Antichrist, but he's going to sit there eventually right where you're at. 
All right, we got to quit. We'll pick this up next week. That didn't end the way I wanted it to end. I wanted to be a little more like personal, but now I'm just blaming everybody else. It's like, there, see? Blame them. It's, it's their fault. But now that's the way you recognize it, or in this case, that's the way you avoid where you can actually be of a help is you need to support the things that are godly and identify the things that, yeah, you're deconstructing this. Now, there's going to be, there's going to be, ultimately be the conflict. You've got the end time conflict. Uh, before we see the Lord's return, this, there's going to be the end time where the Antichrist is going to be a very power player and is going to rule and reign for a period of time. So, I mean, it's not like we can avoid this. There's things that are going to happen. Jesus is coming back, but as history goes, there's going to be dark cycles and ultimately that ultimate final dark period before Jesus returns, we call the tribulation. But I do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would guard our own hearts, that we would look to your truth, that we'd look to find evidence of your work in our lives, that we could help make the path straight for ourselves, for our family, but also for others. But also we ask that you'd send people our way to help also light our path and make our path straight, that we can avoid errors, that we can grow, grow closer to you. We do thank you for the church and all the ministries that are involved in the church as we help other believers. We again, thank you for the chance to be at, alive at this time in history. That's what we do our job, to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time and your patience.